What's up, Highlands? I love, love, love preaching on water from a baptism, by the way. And I'm serious about that. That's really powerful. You know, every time you see water, you should remember that you're baptized. Every time it rains, every time there's the morning dew on the ground, anytime you go to the lake, it's a little low, but it's still there. Every single time. Did you know that Martin Luther never used umbrellas? Yes, they had them back then. Because he wanted to feel the rain to remind him himself that he was baptized. Isn't that beautiful? And what does baptism mean? It means we belong. And so it was really wonderful to, to, to witness this today and to be with you. Uh, I extend my greetings to you from my family. I am a, uh, a husband to a very beautiful wife, and her name is Ada. And I have four children, and they're 18 and 16-year-old girls. Just Can you just bind the enemy? Over, uh, can you just <laughs> extend your hand? You don't want to do that? Okay. Uh, nine and seven-year-old boys, and they're all wonderful kids who all try my patience and show me who I am. And so that's really wonderful. I miss them, and uh, they were not able to come with me today, but hopefully another time. And uh, we're in a series called Heroes. I like that because we need heroes in our lives. We love heroes in our culture. We're obsessed with heroes, aren't we? We have TV shows. We have movies. We have backpacks. We have uh, lunch pails. Do we still call them lunch pails? Uh, Lunch boxes. And we always will, they're probably the biggest blockbuster movies, right? Our heroes. We have heroes. How many Batman movies are we going to have? How many Batmans do we need? How many Supermans? How many Spidermans? We're not content with one. We get another. How about the latest one? Our latest hero, Ant-Man. Like, we really need Ant-Man, right? I haven't seen the movie, so maybe I do. I'm guessing I don't need Ant-Man in my life. But we love heroes, I think the reason why we are uh, like heroes is because we simply need them. We need them to remind us that we can be more than what we are, that we don't have to be living in fear, that there is such a thing as courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is obviously working through fear, in the midst of fear, in spite of fear. And I think each and every one of you, in some time, in some form, are heroes right now. The very fact that you would be here is heroic because everything in our culture says you just really need to trust yourself and nobody else. But the fact that you're here perhaps means that you are wanting more than what you are, that you want to put your trust in the hero of all heroes, the one who originates the whole idea of courage, How many know that God is the most unthanked hero of all time? God's love is so daring, so risky, so wonderful that He loves in spite of the fact that people would acknowledge or thank Him or love Him in return. How wonderful is His love in sending sunshine and rain upon people who don't think they need him. God's love is unsurpassed. He is the greatest gambler of love. And today we look at Abraham, and Abraham is truly a hero because this is a guy 
from a long, long time ago who says, I would rather leave my comfort and know God than stay and think I have everything I need. That is heroic, to move out into the unknown in order to experience God. We'd rather stay in the known. We'd rather stay with what we know, even if it's misery. We'd rather stay where we are as human beings. We'd rather stay with our comforts. We'd rather stay in our addictions. We'd rather stay in our mess, in our pride, than to step out and say, I'm no longer in control. Are you with me? Have you been there? And God is a God that says, I love you too much to leave you like that. Abraham stands as one of the greatest figures to be found in the ancient world. All three major monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and even Islam, which seeks to be a corrective to Christianity and Judaism, though it came comes 600 years after the fact of the birth of Christ, all agree that there is reverence due the father of faith in Abraham. And what, what, what makes Abraham more important to us as Bible students and people that, of, that want to follow God is not just the reverence in which he is held. It's, he's not just important because a lot of people think he's important. It's not even the belief which was circulated some 50 years ago by the National Geographic, 1966, December, page 740, if you want to look it up, if you have a copy at home. The National Geographic once expressed this, Abraham, the patriarch, conceived, notice the language, conceived of a great and simple idea, the idea of a single almighty God, end of quote. According to the National Geographic, 1966, Abraham is important because he was responsible for the idea that there weren't many gods, but only one God. How wrong they were to think simply because Abraham states that there's a God, that he actually created the idea of a single God. No, it was because there is a personal God. Because there is a God that wants to be known. Because there's a God that truly, desperately, consistently, lovingly reveals God's own self to us. His pursuit is relentless. It is because of that love that we can understand Him and ourselves. I've been reading a book called The Gift of Being Yourself. I finished it. And it talks about the false self. The false self that we pretend to be. The people that we want other people to believe that we are. And we put up a false self so much. And we prop it up. And we support it. And it's on life support. And we pretend to be people that we are really not. In order to receive the admiration of people that we think we so desperately need. And there comes times in our lives where we're presented the opportunity to step away from a false self and to be who we really are without pretending, without actually acting like someone else, where we actually can be who we really are. And you can truly be who you really are in front of God and with God. How wonderful it is not to have to pretend 
that you're someone else. The backpack of shame and guilt comes off when you can just be you. Now, that doesn't mean that you get to be nasty all the time, by the way. Some people think, I'm just going to be me, so you just got to deal with it. Now, there might be times for that, right? But some people like use that as license. All the time? You're just going to be you know, rude? Well, maybe that's you. Maybe you're really rude, and you got to deal with your rudeness. But that doesn't mean everybody else has to deal with your rudeness. Amen? Don't, don't hit your neighbor really hard like that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Sometimes in our lives we're presented opportunities where we can step away from a false self and to be who we really are. And the only way to really know who you are is to, is to sit under the gaze of the Father, to listen to His words, just to sit there in silence and let God look at you. Many of us are uncomfortable with the idea of God looking at us. If Jesus of Nazareth, the one who died for your sin and mine, the one who was mocked, the one who went to the grave, the one who conquered the grave, the one who walked out of a grave on a Sunday morning and presented himself not to Caesar... Not to Pilate. That's where I would have gone. If I was Jesus resurrected, I'd be knocking at Pilate's door. What was that thing you, you were talking about, truth? Jesus presents himself to his disciples, the ones who tr- struggled to find out who he was, the ones that he went and said, follow me. If Jesus was walking in here, and I believe the presence of Jesus is here, and he walked in here right through those doors, and each and every one of us, he looked at us. For five, ten, twenty minutes. Would you be able just to sit there? And what would be running through your mind? What would be going on in your heart as Jesus looks at you? What would be going on in the mind of Christ? What would be going on in the heart of Christ? What would he say when he finally opened his mouth to you? We find out who we really are when we experience the gaze and the words of Christ. Abraham finds out who he is when he receives a word from the Lord, and not just that, the presence of the Lord. The first chapters of Genesis, get this, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, the creation of the world, the pinnacle and the beauty and the majesty of humanity, the governance of humanity, the image of God in male and female counterpart. The, the, the mission of God in sharing creation with humanity and saying, I want you to take care of it. I want you to take care of the gifts. I want you to name things. And then the brokenness of wanting to be gods without God. That is, my friends, sin. 
all the behaviors and all the attitudes and all the addictions are only manifestations of the actual sinfulness, which is, I'd rather be God without God. I want to live my life without God. That is what sin is. And then God meeting them where they are. Where are you? God says. And us hiding and covering and blaming. Sound familiar? When you're confronted with the sinfulness of trying to be God, do you ever run away? Do you ever cover yourself? Do you ever blame someone else? might be true that you've been wronged. Of course you've been wronged. The most important thing we can do in our lives when God meets us is to stop pointing the finger and to start receiving His grace. The first 11 chapters deal with the universe not as an accident, but as God's plan to reveal how good God is. And whatever God makes is good. But in the act of love, God enables us to love in return, and we reject God. And then those rest of the chapters of God trying to work out his purpose in humanity and people groups now rejecting God. No, we'd rather do our own thing. God working through Noah. God, God working even with the people of Babel who want to create a tower, chapter 11. And, we, and they basically say, we want to show ourselves how strong we are that we can save ourselves and even reach God with our resourcefulness. That we can prove to ourselves that we really are strong. That we can live life as full, complete individuals. And we can show, if there is a God, we can show you. We can reach you. You do not need to reach us. And God says, uh, wrong. I'm going to confuse this whole plan. Because it stinks. Have you ever had a plan that you thought was so good and then it stinks? Chapter 11 ends in chaos, confusion, disunity. And if Genesis would have ended there, we would have had a story of humanity that looked helpless and hopeless. How many of you have been hanging out in the country of helpless and hopeless? How long have you been eating the vegetation of helplessness and hopelessness? How has that gone for you? And I love chapter 12 because it is out of that confusion, out of that chaos, out of that darkness, out of that disunity, out of that resourcefulness that was just a masquerade for pride. God speaks a new word into confusion. And this is how it goes. The word of the Lord to the people of God. The Lord had said to Abraham, notice, the, notice the, the past perfect tense. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country 
your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you, Abram, into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples, notice this, look at the plan of God, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham thought about it for a long time. No, that's not what the text says. So Abram went. Where? As the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. How many know that's Social Security? When he set out from Haran. Now that's different from where he started because in chapter 11 we're told that Abram was from the from a city called Ur of the Chaldees, which would be eventually the Babylonian Empire, modern-day Iraq and Iran, the Fertile Crescent. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. How many of you can actually do that today? If God said, I want you to travel by foot to a place that I'm sending you, I will tell you when you get there. (laughs) Can you just literally pick up everything that you have and pack it? You're like, "Uh, does that include the storage unit that I have? It's amazing. And they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. They arrived in Canaan. Did he know that he was going to Canaan? No. But when he arrived there, something happens. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the what? The great tree of Moreh at Shechem. Very important biblical city and very important place in that city. A a group of trees, especially a terebinth tree, a huge tree, a cultic religious tree dedicated to other gods that, that, that was meaningful for the people of that time because it represented the resourcefulness and the fertility and the prosperity that they believed the, those gods that they had constructed promised them. God meets them at a place of idolatry. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Translation, your home. You've reached it. So he, that is Abram, built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. That place was already an altar to false gods. But God says, I'm going to give you this land, and he builds an altar there to the Lord. Continue, verse 8. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel, literally in Hebrew means house of God, and pitched his tent and with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he builds yet another altar to the Lord and calls on the name of the Lord. Notice that he, can I have the, uh, the uh, may I have the map? Yes. On the very bottom right, you see the, the, a city where 
archaeologists believe is the place where he came from, Ur of the Chaldees, which would become the Babylonian Empire. And he travels along the river. How many know that's smart? You don't just travel into the desert. God told me to leave, so I'm going to go into the desert. Uh, I'm not going with you, Lot would have said. You're not going to last. So to follow God doesn't mean that you check out your brains. It means that you stay smart, but that you look for God to lead you. So he travels alongside the river, and he reaches Haran at the top of that pinnacle. He is reminded of the word of the Lord, and he continues down all the way till he gets to where? The land of Canaan, the place where our Lord would walk. It's amazing how important places are. All these places have meaning. This was an inhabited place where idolatry reigned. Abraham leaves an idolatrous place in order to arrive at an idolatrous place. How many know that still happens today? (laughs) No matter where you go, there's going to be idolatry. There's going to be idolatry in the land, and there's going to be idolatry in the hearts of people. Because sin always says, I'd rather serve something else or someone else other than God. Things that we've created or things that others have fashioned for us. So Abram leaves behind his country, everything he holds dear, his people, and even his father's household he leaves behind. How hard was that? How many of his friends tried to persuade him Not to do that. We're not told. But archaeologists tell us that Ur was no shabby place. It had Bed Bath & Beyond. It had wineries. It had restaurants upon restaurants. It had luscious gardens and parks. There was the 101 freeway right there next to it. Right in the middle of it. I mean, this is a nice place. A place where you could grow a family You could relax, you could be comfortable, you could do business as usual, you could have it all, gated community, wine at night, nice. Abram, you're going where? I don't know. And how will you know when you get there? I don't know that yet. And you're leaving this behind, yes. Why? Because the Lord spoke to me. What Lord? The creator of all things. The the one who, who has rolled the spheres in the skies and holds all things. Abram, let's go to the psychiatric hospital a little bit. Can we can we talk? Can we have it? Can we just check this out for you, with you? No. In order for me to experience God, in order for me to find who I really am, I need to move. The heroic thing about Abram is his immediate immediate obedience. That's not like us, is it? 
we test things to death. We want signs. We want constellations. We want assurances, security. We, that's us. Abram, I want you to move. Okay. Take your stuff. Okay. And it's not because he has a hard life. He has a good life. This is a wealthy man. But the problem is, is that he and his wife are barren. And the promise was that he would be a blessing and that all the peoples on earth would be blessed through him. Do you know that he doesn't receive the promise of a son and an heir until he finally reaches his destination? He is not given the whole plan at the beginning. It would have been too much. Some of us go, I need to know the will of God for my life. No, God's going to show you a little bit what you can handle right now. Because you're going to be overwhelmed if he shows you everything. You actually have to move and follow God and experience God and trust God in some ways before he shows you other ways. But we want the whole package. God, I want you to break it down for me. Can you just show me the beginning to the end? God says that you're not ready for that. And this is how God acts. When Jesus calls his disciples, he says to them, follow me. And they could have said, well, who are you? But they know he was a rabbi. And that was enough. Did they know that he was the Christ? No. Did they even know what that meant? No. When he tried to teach them what that meant, did they get it? No. When they finally got that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed leader, did they agree to his plan? No. It wasn't until after he was gone, ascended. It wasn't until after he had breathed on them the Spirit, and they are filled with the Spirit, that they finally were able to put together all the things that he had taught. And so it is with us. He says to them in the beginning, follow me. You, you get to ask your questions along the way, not before you move. As you follow Christ, as you move out, that's where our questions are dealt with. And that makes us really uncomfortable. Do you, know what, you want to know why? Because it means we're not in control. You know what we love? You know what I love? I love to be in control. Oh, let me rephrase that. To have the illusion of control. I once thought I can control how my kids react. I once thought I could control and manipulate how loving my wife was back to me by impressing them with my knowledge or with my skills or with my service. And it was always love with strings attached like a puppeteer. How many know that's not love? There's something really intoxicating about thinking that you're in control. 
And there's something really wonderful about being sober of the fact I don't need to be in control. There's something really wonderful about that freedom. God, he tells Abram, in order to experience me, you need to move out. In the, in, the, in the language of the Hebrew that this text comes out of, the, the verb is lake, L-E-K-H. And it goes like this, lake, leka. Sounds pretty cool, huh? It means go, get going, leave. It's an imperative command. Abram, go, get going. Leave the things that you hold dear. Leave the things that you would think you understand. Leave your home, all the values that are there that are false, but take the ones that are good. I'm taking you to a new land, a new place, a new destination. I'm putting you into a new relationship with me and with your family. I'm going to change the world by changing you. I've made a new plan that includes the blessing of all humanity, but it begins with you. Do you want that? If you want that, follow me. I want you to leave behind a life of security, your nice home, your good friends, your family, your economic stability, your wealth, all the things you hold dear. Will you find your comfort in me or will you continue to think that your comfort is in anything or everyone else? Will you step out into the unknown so that I can know you and you can know me? You know, for some of us, it might be leaving Paso. But for most of us, it means staying. It means staying in your job and stop thinking that the next job is going to save you. It is actually staying in your marriage when it is most difficult that God might be calling you to do. Unless you're in an abusive environment, you should really consider staying. Especially if the other spouse says, I don't want anything to do with you. Is it possible that God's blessing begins with you receiving a blessing yourself despite what anyone else does? Maybe it means stepping outside across the street to get to know your neighbor, the one who flipped you off last month, the one who called the cops on you when your music was too loud, or maybe you called the cops on them. Maybe it's you that you would not cash in on your Ivy League education to get that ladder-climbing job, but rather it's to put all of your efforts to serving the poor. Maybe it's not pursuing the American dream of reaching security 
so that you don't have to worry anymore, but rather seeing your life as hands and feet of Jesus wherever he may lead you. Faith always involves risk, my friends. Always. Let me tell you as I conclude here. Henry Nouwen once wrote, Each of us has a unique mission. Listen to this, though. It is not to save the world, not to solve all the problems, not even your own, not to help all people, impossible, but to respond to the unique call on your life, which is always in your family, in your work, and in your community, your your church and in your world which surrounds us. Each of us has a unique mission, not to save the world. We don't serve in our community because we're the Savior. We serve because we've been served. We serve because we're not in control. We serve because we're free. What do you want out of life? That's a big question to, to uh, end the sermon, huh? Can you, can you ask a more global question? What do you want out of your life? What do you want most? I suggest to you that what you want the most, if you're really honest with yourself, is who you really are. And even what your God is. For Abram, it was God. Will that be for you? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you you step out. You go all in on us. When the world is going crazy... When our world is upside down, you, you say, I'm all in for you. Follow me. Stop pretending like you're someone else and stop acting like you got it covered. Trust me. Step out where I lead you. Put your faith in me. I will not let you down. Trust the hero that I am for you. We put our trust in you, Lord. Help us to obey, not because we're seeking acceptance, but simply because we are accepted and loved already. In Christ's name we pray, amen.